You're listening to the Main Voice to Men podcast, a podcast dedicated to lifting the voices of young people and engaging youth around topics of gender and violence prevention. Thanks for listening. This episode contains topics such as mental health, emotional and physical abuse, as well as sexual assault. If you are sensitive to any of these topics, please exercise caution as well as self-care when listening to this episode or don't listen at all. When listening to this episode, it is important to practice self-care and to put yourself first. Feel free to pause the episode, put both feet on the ground, focus on your breathing, and skip parts that you may be sensitive to. If you feel that you or anyone near you may be suffering from violence or abuse in a relationship or suicidal thoughts or actions, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at their 24-hour number, 1-800-273-8255, or visit their website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. As you can also contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at their number, 1-800-799-7233, or visit their website at thehotline.org. If you want to learn more, visit either of these websites, and you can also visit Love is Respect at their website, loveisrespect.org. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Youth Take, a podcast starring the Youth Council at Maine Boys to Men. My name is Sarah. I am here today with Maggie Mater. She is a youth council member as well as a survivor of a of an abusive relationship. She has taken time out of her day to sit down with us and talk in, about her story as well as about relationship red flags and hopefully inspire and inform people about common misconceptions regarding consent relationships survivors as well as the resources available to them. So welcome, Maggie. Thank you so much for joining Thank us for today. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. Um, so to start, would you be able to share your story with us in as much or as little detail as you're comfortable with? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm currently almost 22 years old, and when I was 16 years old, I was asked out by a guy that I knew. I was currently attending a church in the town that I grew up in. And he was a part of that church, and I knew him through the church as well as through the youth group. And I met him in the youth group, and when he asked me to be his girlfriend, it was in an incredibly charming way. He was super, super over-the-top charming. He was very chivalrous. He was very sweet he made me feel like the most important person in the world he made me feel like the most beautiful person in the world and we started dating i was 16 years old he was also 16 years old and the first couple months of our relationship were pretty normal it was very he treated me like I was everything to him, and I could do no wrong, and he really built me up with his words and the way that he treated me. And then um, slowly that relationship started to turn into something that I never really saw coming, and that was that he started to be very emotionally manipulative and emotionally abusive. And it started with just little 
negative remarks and insults. Um, and then those insults turned into very degrading, targeting insults. And he eventually started to form an aspect of control over me. And it wasn't like control in like a suggestive way. It was more along the lines of he had come up with rules for me for what I could wear, who I could hang out with. He was very opinionated about my friends and my family. He had come up with a list of eight different rules for what I could and could not wear. Um, and that emotional control was, it wasn't just all negative. It was combined with random moments of him lifting me up to make me think like I couldn't do anything without him and that, you know, he was all I needed and that he was always going to take care of me. And he always said, you know, I'm always going to protect you. I'm never going to hurt you. I'm always going to love you. Um, and then that, that emotional abuse, you know, it became more and more controlling as time went on. It became more and more manipulative and eventually that emotional abuse turned to physical abuse and the relationship was something that I didn't feel comfortable in, but I also didn't know how to get out of it. And I didn't, even in that moment, I was just trying to hold on to what the relationship was in the beginning because he was so charming to start. Um, and then the relationship became physically abusive, which then turned into being sexually abusive. And he had me do things for him that I didn't want to do. Um, and he... I experienced things with him that were very sexually forceful and physically forceful. Eventually, about a little after a year that we were dating, I ended things with him, but the problem with being in a relationship with someone like that who had had a lot of control over me as a person inside and out and he had control over what I ate and would say things about that and there was a time during the middle of our relationship where that got pretty bad his control over what I would eat and he would ask me you know what I weighed what I had eaten that day combined with what I was wearing combined with looking through the contacts on my phone combined with you know, asking me to send his loca my location to him whenever I was not with him. And so when I broke up with him, it was, it was scary. And I think, you know, talking about my story now and talking about that relationship, probably the biggest part that people don't understand is why I didn't leave the relationship as soon as it became physically abusive. And you know, that's because I was really scared and what came after I broke up with him was a whole other level of turmoil than just the relationship itself. Yeah, so we had dated for a little over a year. I broke up with him a couple weeks after I turned 17 years old and now I'm almost 22 and I can talk about it now, but it definitely still will affect me on, you know, a day-to-day -day basis sometimes.
Thank you. Um, and how would you, having gone through that experience, how would you define a relationship as abusive? Because there are many different definitions. What is hardest is, you know, physical abuse can sometimes be black and white. And the emotional abuse, in my opinion, is what's really hard to see, especially when you're in the relationship. Because for me, I was holding on to the person that he was in the beginning because he was so charming and so sweet and so over-the-top kind to start. And that's kind of how he, you know, almost wrapped me around his finger to think that he was never going to do those bad things. And so I think to define a relationship as abusive would be looking at whether or not each person is actually their own individual person and whether or not, you know, both people are being honest and treating the other one with respect and not putting any level of control or manipulation into the things that they say to the other side. I think manipulation and emotional abuse are hand in hand and like I said it can sometimes be easy to see the physical abuse but the emotional abuse is is harder to look at but if a relationship involves any amount of manipulation or coercion or degrading or condescending or insulting ways of speaking it's emotionally abusive which can then turn to the physical abuse how long did it take you to be able to come forward about that um and how were you able to tell people and then i guess a side question about that um would be what did you wish someone around you might have noticed before yeah you what do you wish someone might have been able to do yeah so you know as far as being able to talk about it i remember for the first couple months after i broke up with him it was a huge battle that I had to go through. I was essentially stripping away someone who was controlling every aspect of my life, where I was going, who I was hanging out with, what I was eating, and what I was wearing. And so taking that away, I was left with me feeling like I was nothing because to him I was just whatever he wanted me to be. So now that I was without him... It was, you know, what are you, Maggie? Who do you want to be? How are you going to take this control back? You know, the first people that I talked to about it was my family and then eventually my friends. And I was very honest with them about, you know, everything that happened. And a lot of them didn't know what was going on. Um, But then I remember when I was going through it, specifically within the first year after, I didn't realize how many people my age, 15, 16, 17, are going through what I went through. And I didn't realize that it was, you know, I always thought relationship abuse and domestic abuse was just within marriages. And that's what my understanding of abusive relationships was. I never thought that it would, it could happen to anyone my age. And so when I was going through the healing process afterwards I had this moment where I was like well if so many people before they turn 18 years old are experiencing some sort of physical abuse from their partners and emotional abuse that's not going to change unless somebody 
that experienced that at that age starts to talk about it. And I don't want what happened to me at 16 years old to happen to anybody else. And so that was the driving force that led me to start talking. And that was the driving force that has kept me to saying yes to opportunities like this. Because if nobody talks about it, then it's not going to change. Um, so that's kind of how I began to be able to talk about it. What do I wish someone would have said to me? Well, I had people in my life that were showing love towards me, but I don't think there's anything, I'm never going to say that there's anything that my friends or family could have said because ultimately I was scared to leave the relationship because of how controlling and abusive it was. And what made me leave was also knowing that I was going to have that support. So I would say if you know someone that's in that position or you think that's happening, really the only thing that you can do is continue to give love towards them and let them know that you're there for them no matter what. Now we're going to move into sort of some questions just about... um, the way that this happens in misconceptions in society and maybe questions that most people generally don't know about. Um, so a really common term um, in abuse cases um, and just in this realm of advocacy um, is what's called a rape kit. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you describe what that is and what that process is like for listeners who maybe don't have a very good idea or understanding of what that is. Yeah, of course. So a rape kit is essentially after you've experienced some sort of sexual assault, you can go to a hospital and they can do a physical examination um, and that being called the rape kit. But within that, a rape kit can take up to hours on end. It is extremely re-traumatizing to the person that is getting it because a rape kit involves physical touching, physical pictures, it involves swabs, it involves DNA tests, it involves, you know, urine samples, blood samples, anything that they can get. It involves them asking you to re-describe everything that's happened to you, um, and it's just like putting the victim back in that position all over again in front of strangers while they're taking pictures of and swabbing your body that has already been violated to start with. So the actual act of doing the rape kit is hard in and of itself, but for me, what's even harder to digest is that there are hundreds of thousands of processed rape kits sitting on shelves that have just not been tested or brought to court. And that's, there's just backlogs and backlogs and backlogs of rape kits sitting all across the country. And to me, the fact that the act in and of itself of going to get a rape kit after you've experienced sexual assault or after you've been raped, the fact that the rape kit in and of itself is so re-traumatizing, and then after going through that in hopes that you're going to get help, they just sit on a shelf, that needs to change in the world all over. We have this notion that we do need to start by believing a survivor whenever they tell their story or come for it because it is it can be very re-traumatizing to that person. 
and that's been very common as well with the Me Too movement recently. Um, but false accusations have also come to light. So how, what do you think is the effect on the movement and the societal courage of women to speak out? Um, and then how should we navigate um, turning accusations into consequences if we know that some may be false? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely hear you on that because there have been accusations that have then come back around to be proven false. And I've thought about this a lot, and especially with the Me Too movement, seeing that so many people came out and said Me Too. I've thought about it a lot, but as hard as it is to digest, I don't think that, you know, while you're listening to someone share their story, I don't think that it's your job to decide whether or not they're telling the truth. I think that the phrase start by believing is important because if you decide that everyone that comes out might be lying, the people who are actually experiencing that type of abuse, they're already afraid to tell people. They're already afraid to come out and share their story. So if they're thinking that and then on top of that worried about whether or not people are going to believe them even more so now... It's not your job to decide whether or not you believe them. Now, on top of that, there are the people that lie. And I don't necessarily have an answer to fix this type of issue, but this is where I feel like our legal system with cases like this needs to be extremely cleaned up and fixed so that there's a way to confidently stick with the phrase, start by believing. Because the Me Too movement was so powerful to so many people. Just to be able to see that people around you have gone through the same thing as you. I mean, for me, it was ridiculously powerful because because seeing, you know, people stand up and that being the first time that they've ever said, you know, me too, this happened to me too, and being able to join that community, as sad as it is that we even have to have a community for that type of thing, the act of all those people moving and coming together, I think is pretty amazing, and you can do more in numbers than you can do alone. How were you able to um, sort of work through the trauma that you had endured, um, and did you experience any... um, PTSD um, and then on top of that how do you manage that in relationships now and does it on top of that does it carry through into non-romantic relationships as well like platonic relationships yeah so as far as like getting over it afterwards the first the first couple months in the first year were extremely extremely hard and there's actually you know one of my favorite quotes to this day and it's so cheesy and so cliche but it's one day at a time and the reason why it's one day at a time for me is because the most common reason why people don't leave relationships like that is because the majority of people that go through those relationships experience stalking after they leave and one of the things that and I did experience that after I broke up with this boyfriend um and that I was experiencing trauma and PTSD after we broke up, but the stalking that I experienced after I broke up with him brought on an entirely new level of 
PTSD for me because my quote one day at a time came from me I could barely make it through an hour of the day after it happened and I would just say to myself okay if you can just make it through one hour then you can make it through the next hour and then if you can make it through a couple hours you can make it through the day and it became this thing where it was like all right if I can not cry for 30 minutes I will be okay and if I can not cry for an hour then I will be okay if I cannot cry for a couple hours I'll be okay all I have to do is make it through the day and then next day will come and it'll be a little bit easier the next day and after I realized that I was being stalked that you know journey of recovery was all of a sudden exponentially harder and I didn't even know that it was gonna get any harder and then it did and that turned into a lot of you know having people walk me to my car me checking my car checking the back seat of my car before I got in me you know running inside my house after I parked in my driveway like it created a lot of paranoia for me and a lot of feeling like I would never escape that person um and as far as getting over it you know I got myself over it by saying you just have to get through one day at a time and then it will get easier and you will rebuild yourself and I spent a lot of time you know with friends I was still riding horses at the time I would ride all the time and I grew from it and I became a survivor out of that because I didn't let myself give up in that process of getting over it after I broke up with him and I would say today there are still moments that I have in terms of PTSD and there are sometimes still nightmares that I have um but I don't let any of those fears determine whether or not I do certain things throughout the day because if I do that then he's one and I told myself after, you know, we broke up that I wasn't gonna, I was gonna be nice to myself, but I wasn't gonna let myself do that because then I would be living my life in fear and I wasn't gonna do that anymore because I did that in the relationship. That's what my life was, was living in fear of him. So I wasn't gonna do that afterwards. Um, and then as far as how it has affected, you know, being able to be in a relationship afterwards, it definitely has. I'm currently in a relationship right now and I've shared my story with that person and talking about it within a relationship is like a whole other level of healing because it's trusting someone that you're essentially looking at someone who was originally in the same position as my abuser at one point. And so for me, it's like, okay, I'm trusting that you're gonna be kind and charming and then stay that way and not just become what he became and that was a huge mental block for me with relationships afterwards because the my abuser was incredibly incredibly charming and incredibly kind in the beginning and so it was very brainwashing and so As far as romantic relationships, it's just something that I have to talk about. And it's something that affects the way that I am physically in a relationship, for sure. And I'm very honest about that. Um, And then as far as non-romantic relationships, I think really it's just that, like, you know, I don't think certain jokes are funny. (laughs) I don't think certain, you know, conversations joking about those types of things are ever going to be funny. 
I don't think that I could be friends with someone who didn't respect that part of my life. I don't think I could be friends with someone who doesn't support me in my journey of, you know, survival and talking about it. But thankfully, every single one of the friends that I have in my life right now has been ridiculously supportive of not only me talking about it, but also the bad days that I have. thoughts about hookup culture and its impact on society my view of hookup culture is this everybody is entitled to make their own decisions with their own body everybody can do that but my problem with you know the depths of the hookup culture are that a lot of the messages that go around are that oh, she sleeps with anyone, so she'll definitely want to sleep with me. I feel like the message of guys in particular, males in particular, being able to just take whatever they want and sleep with whoever they want and hook up with whoever they want is a very common thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a female or a male taking control of you know, their sexuality and who they want to sleep with and who they want to hook up with and who they want to have sexual relationships with, relationships with in general at all, if that is something that's consensual on both sides. But I think the problem with hookup culture in general is that it's not just people being empowered and having consenting sex. It's people being selfish and thinking that they can hook up with whoever they want to, both males and females. Um... So hookup culture in general and the idea of it, the idea that you can hook up with whoever you want, fine if the other person is also thinking the same thing. But I feel like hookup culture in general is a lot of males or females thinking, well, I'm just going to go out and like, you know, hook up with whoever I want. And it doesn't, the conversation of consent is not usually intertwined within that mindset. Um... But I think if consent was involved more in those types of ideas and relationships, there's no problem with it. But the idea of being able to just take what you want whenever you want from someone else, I think is like the deeper issue behind the hookup culture. If you're comfortable going out and hooking up with however many people you want and whoever you want that's fine but it's normally not just that it's that and there's no consent and you say yes even when you don't want to say yes or you're forced into a situation that you don't want to be forced into it's normally not just let's go hook up and I think there's a certain level of teaching people to have ownership of their own body and teaching people to learn how to say confidently yes and no without any shame behind it before you can comfortably and confidently be a part of the hookup culture. What is um, the importance in your mind of boundaries in and out of a relationship um, and then what sort of um, effects does the culture currently behind boundaries affects, or what are the effects of 
the culture behind foundries yep. on um, uh, rape culture. I mean, I would say the boundaries within rape culture are non-existent. I feel like rape culture in and of itself is just the actual... I mean, it is what it sounds like. It is no boundaries. It is, you know, one person deciding, I'm going to take this, and the other person having zero say on whether or not that actually happens. Um, Boundaries, you know, when I was in high school and even middle school you know, healthy relationships and how to set up boundaries was never talked about in health class. And how to say no without the shame and the guilt was never taught or talked about in any community that I was involved in. And I think as far as teaching people how to have boundaries, you know, if we can do that at a young age, maybe we would see a difference in the culture that we have today. But as far as rape culture goes, that sentence alone shouldn't exist. There are no boundaries within rape culture because rape shouldn't exist. And I don't think that there should even be a thought about putting boundaries within rape culture and thinking about the lack of because anything that involves rape involves no boundaries or it involves boundaries that are completely disregarded. How do you think people should navigate discussing boundaries and consent, um, given that when some people, what some people are comfortable with are different than other people, um, and also different within romantic and non-romantic relationships, um, sexual or non-sexual relationships, um, and just in people are in different stages of their lives, and how do you, yeah. how do you think people should navigate that? I feel like the overall answer for each of those situations for me is that, you know, you yourself have to decide for yourself, not anybody else influencing you, but you yourself have to decide for yourself what your boundaries are and whether it's a romantic relationship, a sexual relationship, a friendship, a family relationship, whatever it is on the other side, you have to learn how to not take their disappointment with your boundaries as feeling guilty yourself. You can have a boundary, and if somebody else isn't okay with that, that's not your problem, in my opinion. And if somebody else is not okay with your boundary, you have a right to step out of that relationship and wait until they are okay with that boundary. And disrespecting somebody's physical or emotional boundaries, no matter what kind of relationship it is, in my opinion, warrants the person who's putting up the boundary the ability to walk away. And again, going back to thinking about how I was raised in the community that I grew up in, boundaries, physical and emotional, were not a a topic that was talked about a lot, but for all of those different types of scenarios and relationships, I think it's important to sit down and recognize that you can come up with your own boundaries for yourself without any input from anyone else and understand what you are okay with and talk to, you can talk to people about, you know, what they think is safe and healthy, but then use that information to make your own opinion. And once you set up that boundary, you have to learn and 
teach yourself how to not feel guilt and shame like society wants you to feel when the other person isn't okay with your boundaries. Because if they're not okay with your boundaries, that's their problem. What would you, um, what would be your message to any, um, potential survivor who could be listening to this? What was something that, um, either you wish you had known yourself or just something you would like to put out there? If you're in a relationship now, if I'm talking to someone who thinks that this may be, that they may have gone through or are going through the same thing that I went through, I would just tell you that one, you're not alone. There's so many people that have gone through and are going through that situation. Two, you can walk away because there are people that will have your back. Three, you deserve better. Simple as that. You deserve more than what you're giving yourself and you do have the strength within you to walk away as scary as that is and I understand that sometimes it feels easier to just stay in the relationship because of threats or what you think might happen afterward but if you can push through that moment if you can push through the scariness of being in that relationship and focus on picking yourself back up Take it one day at a time. Take it one hour at a time if you need to. Take it one minute at a time if you need to. But you can do that. You can walk away. And I did. And I will help anyone that is looking to. Well, thank you for being able to um, join us today. Um, This has been really informational. Um, I think that it will inspire a lot of people I think just hearing your story will inspire a lot of people and help people feel not as alone, like you said. To our listeners, I hope that you um, learned something from this, were inspired um, by this um, story and by Maggie. She's incredible. Um, We will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Youth Take. To support more conversations like these, please consider giving $5 at mainboysmen.org.